Welcome to season two of the Screen and Needle podcast. We're going to be changing up the format a bit. Uh, we start with our Beatles special based on the TV special Get Back. And we're also going to talk about our five top Beatles albums. That's a main format change, to be honest. We're just we're doing five top instead of top five. Pretty much the rest is the same. It's it's probably accurate in this case, in fairness, because all of our albums are top. So, well, I'm looking forward to talking about it a little bit later on. There's quite a few surprises in there, I think, for me. Some older things that I think were better than I remember them being, and some things that were maybe pinnacle, just getting chipped down a little bit. Interesting. But first, we're going to talk about. Get Back, which is a TV special from 2021, uh, released on Disney+. Plus. It is 7 hours and 48 minutes long and stars the Beatles. Now we're going to take the Beatles and I'll be quiet. Oh, you recording our conversation? Looking for a what? What is it? Looking for a home to last. Looking for a blast from the past. We're talking about 14 songs we hope to get. I've got a feeling. How many have we already recorded good enough? None. Oh, yeah. And none of us has had the idea of what the show's going to be. I've got a feeling. I would dig to play on stage, you know. Nobody else wants to do a show. I think we've got a bit shy. Oh, no! Well, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I think it's uh, just kind of a, a hangout movie that the people you're hanging out with are the Beatles. So that's pretty damn cool. Obviously, there's loads to say about the length. Doesn't really bother me. It's it's one that you can proper background view and dip in and out. You know, whenever something interesting happens, there's a lot of unnecessary repetition, but I don't really care because it is just kind of hanging out with these super interesting people who also just happen to be some of the best musicians of all time. So what's not to like, really? 100% agree with that on the length. Yeah, what's it matter? Like sometimes when you're hearing them, you know, rehearse Get Back for the fifth time or just like waking out on some blues thing. Yeah, you you know, you're chipping it out a little bit, don't you? Like I, I'm perfectly fine with that still going on. And then you, you know, really focus back in on the uh, on the good bits. The bits when it did get into their, like, interpersonal relationship, I think, were amongst my favourite bits. When you just got those snippets of, like, super genuine conversations, I think it dispelled a few kind of held beliefs I had about the Beatles and some of their relationships, and then, like, affirmed some others like McCartney being the daddy of the group, always the one to sort of like be responsible and pull, try and pull everybody together. And uh, Lennon just being a clown almost constantly. I remember you guys had watched, actually, I think I might have finished it before you finished it, Will, but you guys had watched some of it at least before I'd started it. And I remember I was like an hour into it and I messaged you saying, like it just reaffirmed my belief that like, that Paul, I can't remember my exact wording, but that Paul was sort of like the kind of the driving force and the the best of the Beatles, I guess. And Certainly I thought by that that point. But that's it. Like I sort of I take it back a little bit because you got to remember that this is just a snapshot of like one particular time in the Beatles, and I don't think John Lennon comes across very good throughout it. I mean, they don't mention drug use at all, but like Ringo looks pretty strung out through a lot of it, and. <laughs> I'm pretty sure John Lennon was supposed to be on heroin through like that 
period of his life. So that maybe might exchange, <laughs> explain why he wasn't quite as focused as he may have been. Certainly at that point, I think Paul was the complete driving force and the only reason that they got their last like two albums out. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, firstly, I think John Lennon comes across just fine. I think he comes across as a well-likable joker, basically. And is he like super focused on the work? Well, possibly not. But in going back and listening through the albums and sort of doing a bit of Wikipedering on it, I think most of the early to mid stuff is primarily driven by John Lennon. I kind of get the sense, and it's almost mentioned at one point in this documentary, I think, that it's kind of passed from Lennon to McCartney. 100%. And, yeah, I think I think he was seen as the band leader, wasn't he, for the first, at least the early, early period of the Beatles, or maybe first five albums. That's right. And there's an argument to be made that does McCartney, being that driving force, actually completely, in a sense, derail the band as a band. I know they had a couple of albums sort of after the, the documentary or what have you, but I don't know. It feels like a lot of the issues that I don't know, maybe he's, he seems like the only one who sort of truly cares about it at that point. That's impossible it's, to say though, isn't it? Like if they'd been the other way round, I don't think that that's true. I think had it have been the other way round, say it was Paul who started off as the leader and then later on John kind of took over the issues that were driving him apart, yeah, McCartney wasn't. McCartney was definitely an issue as part of that, but he was also probably the biggest thing that was kind of driving him forward. I feel without him, there's no band at that point. I think there might be like other, it insinuates to other like undercurrents that were starting to split them apart. But one of the myths that was dispelled for me was... Uh, like what the rest of the Beatles thought about Yoko and John and Yoko's relationship. Yeah. Because there's a bit where, does John not turn up in a morning for rehearsals? And so they're all like sat around talking about it. And they all speak like really quite level-headedly about their relationship and that it's not like breaking up the Beatles, but they just want to spend as much time together. And it was surprisingly genteel from something that, history has made like very heated and very like purposeful that Yoko Ono comes in and busts up the Beatles. No, mate, I, I think you're absolutely right because I think the sense that I got and that has always been portrayed is is somewhat the spinal tap thing where the girlfriend and spinal tap turns up and everyone's sort of, you know, slagging her off behind her back and it just destroys everything. I mean, look, maybe there was some of that off uh, off camera or whatever, but there's never any indication of that really at all. I think that kind of changed my sort of perspective on on that whole issue. I think it's so- it's interesting though when it sort of goes back to presumably what it was in prior years. Again, it's all insinuation because we don't really know, and I personally not really read any Beatles books or anything. But you know the the scene where John and Paul the audio is caught on like a hidden mic or whatever, and they're discussing like the situation with George having left and everything. I I found that like super interesting. I think in moments like that, it does become apparent actually that Lennon is still incredibly critical to the whole Mm. thing. I do agree. Like McCartney is absolutely the driving force, but he just seems to have a different approach. Yeah, for sure. I think particularly with the songs that George Harrison brought to the last like two albums and his solo work afterwards, it is pretty clear that he had better songs 
than most of the songs on the EP. I've read it before that like George Harrison just peaked later than the other ones as like a songwriter. But I think yeah. I've never really thought about it much. But it sort of it seems a bit clearer in that that like watching the documentary that you can see them just kind of dismiss them. Like mm-hmm. that Paul wants to keep working on fucking Maxwell Silverhammer for <laughs> twenty hours instead of like when George has got just better songs that they could like move on to and they're just kind of ignoring you like you can 100% see where his like frustration is coming from it's also like they obviously I think it's quite a sweet documentary like it definitely plays up the kind of friendship between them like even though it's like they're arguing at times like there's clearly he's like the little brother into George <laughs> yeah the, yeah, they're, yeah they're a family aren't they yeah. They're a proper family. When there's Sorry. like attacks from outside, they always sort of defend each other against it. Yeah, they huddle even, up. Even though they're happy to attack each other to each other, which is a like like standard family thing, isn't it? Yeah, you can always be the cruelest to your own. Yeah. Uh but there's a there as you say, like really sweet bits when um Ringo is sort of writing Octopus's Garden and George sort of takes him under his wing and essentially like fluffs the song and adds the chorus and and like adds all of the interesting bits and it's a really nice moment of just watching them work together and George like a little proud parent like that's right yeah that's not do a seventh yeah that's it that's great it's really nice Although Ringo does look like he's pretty, yeah, yeah, strung out throughout the entire thing. <laughs> he does just come across as, like, very lovable. Like, he's... Uh, Big time. Like, when... Is it Get Back that it's basically just Ringo and um, and Paul, like, in Twickenham? And, uh, yes. like, early on, and Paul's just, like, jamming out this new, like, idea that he's got. And Ringo's just next to him. Like just he's just like drumming on the side of the piano or something and like <laughs> so like shouting get back with him on the chorus. And it's just I don't know, I just found it like just sweet, involved. Just super sweet. Yeah, just Ringo there, just doing his bit, you know, Gene him on. It's not really adding anything, but <laughs> it's still it's still kind of lovely. And a couple of times when like Ringo seems to be amazed by how good the other Beatles are. As a few times, you just see him like watching Paul play piano, just a gog. <laughs> wow, he's really good. Ringo's Ringo's great. He's he's super likable, and actually, I don't think he should be sold short. I mentioned this when I first watched it, but I think it it really comes across how incredibly good a musician he is as well. Yeah, it, I mean, he just gets into the pocket of things straight away, almost effortlessly. Yeah, I think that's the thing, though, isn't it? Like. The other three are known as like multi-instrumentalists and um, they're all better singers than Ringo is and mm-hmm. they, uh, they're they all better songwriters, obviously. And so, yeah, Ringo gets forgotten for just being good at one thing, but he is good at the one thing that he does. He's a, yeah. <laughs> a genuinely good drummer. Definitely. He's fantastic. I do, I do want to talk a little bit about the kind of McCartney instructing people what to do angle as well, though. <laughs> for, for sure. I, I do think, you know, there's, there's several points where like, and you know, I find this quite relatable as well when someone is working on an idea and it's generally Harrison, just like sort of playing around a bit, trying to figure things out. And McCartney just almost consistently shoots him down and it's just like, no, just, just do this instead. Yeah. And you've just mentioned his own growth over the years as a songwriter, musician, whatever. I'm not even saying that McCartney's wrong necessarily all the time. Like a lot of the time he's probably got the right idea, but the fact of the matter is if you've 
been in a band in that environment where it's a very kind of collective thing and you sort of work on it together and then it's become actually I'm just getting told what to do now even though I've personally grown myself I'm not able to play my own music because no one's interested I'm not even able to write my own parts anymore it must be very difficult though because you're changing the dynamic because I I get the feeling that that is kind of what they did Paul and John had ideas that they worked on between the two of them that George Harrison would bring like one song a record if that and he would kind of be told what to do as like a lead guitarist. Like, oh, you've got a solo here. This is kind of what we want from that. And so it must be like, I do get it from both sides. Like it must be hard to change the dynamic of that when they've done what, 11 albums before this one doing that, where George, George has kind of happily just gone <laughs> along with what he's been told to do. And now he's at the point where he's like, well, actually what I want to do is like potentially better than the idea that you have. Just let me let me do my thing. <laughs> yeah, in, absolutely. It does seem, and I think they even mention it, that Lennon is far more chilled with arrangements and stuff, and he is just more, you know, everyone do do what they want kind of thing. It, there's there's very few moments I think in that documentary where he's telling people what to do. There's also um, very few like Lennon led. Well, that's that's it. He doesn't have much there, does he? I mean, we mentioned the other day, Andy, and I, I don't know if you can remember Will, but um, like across the universe is on that album, and I think is a tremendous song. Agreed. I don't really remember it appearing in the documentary. No, I don't remember it at all. So yeah, I mean, it is just weird. Like I just think Lennon mildly tuned out really he seems to really enjoy just playing music and having a laugh but as soon as it comes to like the like the important work bits yeah yeah it's just he's not, not really like yeah it's not really fully there and it kind of is what it is but i guess that attitude alongside paul's it's just two different things and as soon as those two clash it's kind of spells the end i guess yeah i think that's it like complete conjecture from my parks again like talking outside of what we've seen in the documentary but I think Paul starts to become that like complete musician producer that he wants to be like really involved in all bits of it. And I think John just still wants to write songs and play songs. And like, he just wants a very simple through line that he can no longer get in the biggest band in the world. I think there were plenty of examples where Paul is happy to kind of go with the general consensus and not just, not so much on his songs. Like he does seem to have quite set ideas and drive them into the crowd. (laughs) But I mean, he starts off with this idea, like they're supposed to be playing is the initial, well, first of all, Paul says that he wants to, like he wants to do a film, doesn't he? Like he likes the idea of doing films. They want to do a, he wants to do a big live gig at Twickenham. And then they have like mental ideas of doing it on a boat or going to, is it like Israel somewhere? (laughs) Like when nobody's shows a huge amount of interest in most of those, he's happy to kind of rein in the ideas. Like he doesn't push that. He just, he just wants there to be something. Mm -hmm. And so he doesn't sort of mind compromising on that. I think he, I think he says that at one point, like if we've got nothing to aim for, then we'll just like disappear. Like we need to have something. And we need to decide what it is. Yeah. Yeah. That that's it. And and what he brings to the other songs is absolutely phenomenal. Whether it's bass, backing vocals, just, you know, little ideas or whatever, what he brings to the table when it's not his song. Yeah, it's it's remarkable stuff. I mean, 
I don't want to sound it like it's, I'm slagging off Paul McCartney. I'm just sort of making the point, but it seems like if anyone kind of responsible for uh, it falling apart, despite being the one person that really, really desperately wanted to keep it going. It's ironic. Yeah. I think a good case in point is would something be as good a song without Paul's insane bass line? It's one yeah. of George's best, but like Paul elevates it. I really like the scene where Linda first comes to the first comes to the studio as well and Paul's just sitting down at the piano and just playing these songs for like you presume kind of the first time. As you play mm-hmm. like long, long and winding roads, play like Martha My Dear and something else. And he's clearly, like, I'm pretty sure he's just, like, showing it off, basically. <laughs> just, like, got his new girlfriend there and wants to just sit down and, like, show off these new tunes that he's got. But it's pretty it's pretty great. Like, it's just just yeah. watching, like, inspiration. To, it's, it's incredible stuff just seeing that for like, essentially the first time. It's kind of where I was going to st- try and steer us next was the actual, like, the playing itself. I think there are two quite polar opposite things I really took away from this that uh, I really enjoyed. The first being that it's gratifying to see that they're not always very good or, or like not always very knowledgeable about music. And it's uh, it was interesting and it was in rehearsals, sometimes had no direction and just kind of like sat around noodling because the three of us have been in a band together and that's essentially what happens sometimes. And then the other complete polar opposite of that is when you just see the genesis of a song that you know, and it'll just start out as a few chords and a snippet of a melody that isn't quite right. And it's like watching like a sport, like urging them, like, no, no, just like you're nearly there. Just keep singing that line. (laughs) You're two notes away from absolutely perfecting it. But I think all of them, like, uh, as you mentioned, Paul's multi-instrumentalism, I just sat at a piano you assume he's brought some of these ideas with him, but they just seem to sprout out of his face. Well, it's the one thing you literally see. Like I say, like, get back, you literally, you see him write it. It's like he does, yeah. he's just smashing out chords and then just has this half idea for the chorus. Like, I don't think he's come in with that. Like, oh, I need to flesh it out as a sound. Like, he's just, mm. he's just jamming and that's what comes. There's the introduction of Billy Preston. Which is the the thing that leads on to the like your second point, I think, when it suddenly just out of nothing seems to come together. Like they're scratching about, yeah, wasting rehearsals where they're just hitting up blues jams or covers. And then they just four hours and then Billy Preston. Just just the greatest thing. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Billy Preston, sort of an honorary, I don't know, sixth Beatle is is uh, George Martin considered the fifth. He's just awesome, isn't he? Billy Preston. He's superb. Just and I, I also dream. think, weirdly, I think also a better musician than all of the Beatles. Like they're all stunned by how easily he just comes <laughs> in and like just perfects a track. Um, but his personality's awesome as well. Like he comes in yeah. such a like beaming guy, super up for playing with the Beatles. It's really funny when they must have been playing with him for hours and they're just like, yeah, we should, we should pay Billy. <laughs> he's just doing it for free <laughs> I like how he's there's a couple of moments as well where you see the Beatles being like proper rock stars you know just being like we're the Beatles we'll just get what we want I think mm-hmm. like one of them is when John Lennon just basically like doesn't he have a recording contract with somebody and they're just like do you want to stay and like 
record with us for the rest of this like sessions yeah john Lennon just basically seems to like inexplicably get him out of his contract <laughs> but, like yeah with the beatles like we want you to play with us it's not an issue <laughs> <laughs> our people speak to your people but, yeah no worries we'll sort it <laughs> another nice aspect of the whole thing is they you know they're absolute megastars we we know this the biggest celebrities in the world at that point pretty much more or less and you know considering that they do come across as pretty down to earth good people generally they all have, all have their moments but yeah they're, they're, they're just quite likable still and you know considering this was supposedly one of the worst points of their career for the most part they're still really kind of joyful and just having fun it's just yeah it's super nice to watch they definitely they definitely seem to love playing with each other still at this point like everything else like around it and outside of it yeah there's there's issues but when they're just playing together whether it's something um whether they're genuinely trying to like (laughs) write a song when they're just messing about like they seem to love doing it like all the issues melt away yeah get the impression they were done being the beatles yeah 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 they were still cool I think. And, uh, sorry, go on. Sorry, mate. I, you go. No, no, you go. I was going to move on a little bit. Well, I was just going to comment on a on a couple of the songs, really. I guess it, it's never a, an album. Let it be that I particularly listened too much in the first place, and certainly not one that had resonated with me. But actually, there's five or six songs I think are really, really terrific of that collection, and. You mentioned it before, Will, and yes, like initially, it's kind of like you watch them and it's like, my God, like, you know, we're not that far off the Beatles. We've sounded better than this in the room. And then when they actually like really get going and oh yeah, like the final is. performance everything, it's just like, <laughs> God, this is absolutely unbelievable. Like, you know, you don't really appreciate it, do you? Like, I mean, the fact that they're basically just recording songs live, no tricks, yeah. no auto-tune, nothing. No. The effortlessness of it all is, yeah, stunning. It's unbelievable. I've got a couple of points on that. There are so many songs, and you can kind of see why it happened in the way that they write them. It's like when, what is it, like two days before they do their rooftop gig, and they're like, we haven't got enough songs. Is it Paul who says, like, oh, we've got we've got songs we've not even rehearsed yet? <laughs> it's like you have enough songs, you just haven't got round to them yet. And like you say, I don't remember seeing Across the Universe at all, Across the Thing, uh, I Me Mine, barely remember playing that. They don't play it on the rooftop gig. Loads of the other ones are potentially really good that I've kind of ignored in the past. Dig a Pony, I think, is super cool, but it just isn't... I love that song. It just isn't fleshed out as a song. I just wish it... I just feel like if they just spent a bit more time on it, it could be absolutely killer. It's just like a great, it's a great riff and like 20 seconds of really nice like vocal harmony and nothing really else to it. I feel like there's a really good song in there and they just sort of left it as it was. And there's a, there's a couple like that. Um, yeah, the second point on that, apart from them being slightly on a, finished songs is the the standout difference between like this and like abbey road which i way prefer 
as an album. I just don't think it worked for them as well, like moving away from that idea of just having tons of just overdubbing everything and orchestrating everything. And like there are obviously moments on the album, but there's literally some of the tracks on the album were recorded at the like rooftop gig. Well, that, that was the in, that was the intent though, wasn't it? I mean, yeah, of course it was. It was. I just recorded a live album. And... I just didn't feel it worked as well. Like I think some of those songs would mm. have been better if they'd gone back to them and George Martin had scored them out. So it's weird. I didn't really understand the George Martin thing because he's, he's there doing things in the background, but he's not in charge, is he? He's very much just a kind of uh, consultant. I don't really get that. The guy is clearly pretty much a genius. It seems strange. He's a real nowhere man Sitting in his nowhere land Making all his nowhere plans for nobody Yeah, I was reading on Abbey Road that he basically agreed to be the producer if they went back to the style that they did before. He was like, I want to be in, <laughs> I want to be in charge of the kind of final product. And mm-hmm. I just, I think you're right, Mark. I think he's a genius. Like, <laughs> I think that moving away from, for whatever reason, and they never really touched on it, kind of the whys in the documentary, but whatever the reason for moving away from him having a bit of a final say, or at least a very strong opinion on it, uh, yeah, it didn't work for me. Like, I just think that some of those songs were potentially great and aren't great. I, I do agree. I think I really enjoyed listening to certain ones over and over but revisiting the album a few weeks after watching the documentary to see if it battled for the top five it it didn't ultimately spoiler alert so the whole thing ends up culminating in the roof performance obviously getting like the police getting involved i really liked how that was sort of shot panels of them on the roof the occasional talking head with people um i mean it shows their popularity uh, and their recognisability that they're playing songs that at that point nobody will have heard before. People are just like, oh, it's the Beatles, isn't it? I really, I really like as well that it's not the people you expect with the answers that you expect. No. Get to some like old dear, and she's like, yeah, I really like it. I love the love them uh, playing this. It's really nice. And then they go to some like yuppie out of his uh, <laughs> out of his like financial institution, <laughs> and he's like, no, it's disrupting my work. You should stop it. Like, you're the one who should like this. What's going on? Yeah. You're about 25. <laughs> yeah, there's an old fellow on there like, I don't mind their hair. I don't mind the way they dress. It's, it's awfully lovely. <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff. I felt a bit sorry for the police. Obviously, they have to respond to a noise complaint, but, you know, you're on the wrong side of this. I saw an interview with the policeman at the time. He said they quit the force about two years later. And said that he like really regretted breaking it up. I mean, he didn't really. He sort of no. he was completely half-assed about it. They were just like, "Yeah, we can maybe go and turn the amps around a bit, and that'll quiet it down." And then about fifteen minutes later, he's like, "Yeah, we haven't quite managed to do that yet, but we're, <laughs> we're working on it." It's like, "Yeah, fine, go and do that." <laughs> yeah, there's like the first two turn up, and then later the the sort of big Sarge comes, and they kind of makes a moment of it of him walking down the street, and he gets there and he goes. Uh, can I go upstairs? Would Would you mind? <laughs> oh. <laughs> he's, not, he's, not gonna, he's not coming in shouting. He's very, very polite. He's like, well, you can go up, but don't go on the roof because it's overweight. <laughs> bit, of health, bit of 1960s health and safety for you. It's already Boeing. I wouldn't. <laughs> Literally a maximum capacity. One more person. I would just go straight through. And you kill the Beatles. Like that. 
Considering how well it's all covered eventually, it's kind of remarkable, but it's just sort of a few days, a couple of days even before they do it. Like, oh, should we just like, do it on the roof kind of thing? And yet somehow they manage to get all this coverage of of the whole thing. It's It's incredible. Like it's such a great snapshot of like a kind of historic moment. And it is like that, that whole gig is, is somewhat like euphoric. It's such a good payoff to the, to the documentary. Some of the dress as well is so sixties. It's almost pastiche. Like, and some of these are sort of high professionals as well. At one point where a guy comes with one of those like incredibly hairy, like sixties jackets, really voluminous sort of purple hairy jacket. And it says like, like music director. (laughs) This guy looks like a fucking Wookiee. (laughs) <laughs> some, of, some of the incredible haircuts. I like how much they, um, like they all smoke all the time throughout it. I know yeah. it, like, oh, one, yeah. I, I think it's pretty early on at one point, like John smoking just before they start like rehearsing and he just like shoves the butt of his sing into like the end of a guitar string just to hold it there whilst he's playing for a bit. Super lovely, rock and roll. Lovely stuff. Yeah, really like that. And the <laughs> fucking Beatles, like, just put it out and get a new one. <laughs> you can afford it. <laughs> oh, there have been pennies in those days as well. <laughs> I know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good. Made me laugh. Are we doing a rating? I'd forgotten about the rating element, so I've not thought about it, but it's fine. I'll pick a number. Go on, Mark. <laughs> well, I just, it's, it's just a, a straight seven for me. Really enjoyed watching it. Would I watch it again in its entirety? Uh, maybe in a few years, no time soon. But I don't think it's like an absolutely remarkable film. I just think it's a fascinating capturing of them at that time, and uh, and they were they came across really well, and the music's great. So, see, I don't disagree with any of that. But well, obviously, it sounds like we've all taken very similar things out of this, but. But I've got to score it higher than that. Like, I super enjoyed it. Very unique in its... I say it's very unique. There, there is similar things, but I guess that I've not seen a documentary like that about a band that I like as much as the Beatles. <laughs> so I've never seen anything like it, really. And I've got to give it at least an eight. I've pushed to a nine. I'm going to give it a nine. It's just an enjoyment factor. Like, I loved it. I thought it was unlike anything else. Like, you never get that sort of behind-the-scenes access to something like that uh well yeah having not thought about um doing a rating um i've listened to both of what you said and decided which bits i agree and disagree you're with. definitely gonna go eight you're such a sit on the fence man <laughs> i mean yes yeah i'm obviously gonna go eight but it, it would be even more cowardly to simply change my mind now <laughs> i've got to stick with my decision it is a band that i really like and that obviously boosts it as well I think its overall runtime is a detriment to kind of the rewatch, but I could certainly see myself putting on like bits of it or the episodes out of order as background stuff. So yeah, that's it. So 
let's get down to doing doing these here lists. I'll volunteer to go first if no one's got any objection. So I'm just going to run down five to one. Okay. So in fifth place is help. Uh, Ooh. Fourth place. Straight out of there. Yeah. Straight out. <laughs> number, number five, the wild card. Number four, the Beatles, a.k.a. the White Album. Number three, Rubber Soul. Two, Abbey Road. And one, Revolver. All right, man, let's explain yourself. <laughs> well, uh, going back through the like the really early stuff, the first couple of albums are actually like sort of a bit of hard work sometimes. They've definitely got the the buds of like top class Beatles songs, but they're also mixed in with pretty much a lot of dross. But I think kind of Beatles for Sale and Help were the the, the two albums where I think they perfected their first phase of like Beatles popdom for me. Like, I know I, I know this is your talking time, but I strongly disagree. All right, carry, on. carry on. We can talk about this after. Uh, so yeah, I picked help. I just think um, between things like you've got to hide your love away. Uh, another girl ticket to ride yesterday. So on great tracks uh, moving on to the white album. I think the white album is uh, pretty great for the first third. And then I think it progressively like peels off. And I think the, the latter songs are much less good, but that first third is so good that, uh, and it's still about the length of their other albums anyway, on its own, uh, that it's still merited fourth place in my list. Rubber Soul, I think, for me, feels like the first album of their like latter period of the Beatles. The first time that they started to move away from like the pure pop stuff. Again, like just tons of, uh, well, I mean, like all the albums, tons of really good tracks on it. But I also think it's it's a pretty consistent album as well. I don't think there are many like dips in quality in Rubber Soul at all. Abbey Road was long-standing my like number one album, um, and it was probably one of the big like shifts for me was putting Revolver above. I think when they both albums when they peak are just best Beatles, but I think Abbey Road has more like dips for me than uh, Revolver, which is why ultimately Revolver pipped the top spot. That's my top five. Thank you all for your time. Okay, so I realised that I only uh, love four albums, so I really struggled to uh, fill in the fifth because my feelings on (laughs) the rest of the Beatles albums are that there are some killer stuff on there, but uh, also some rubbish. Um, Number five, I've got Magical Mystery Tour, which I think is uh, hugely underrated as an album. Uh, I'll get on to why in a sec. I struggled with the order of the other four quite a bit, but I'm going to go Rubber Soul fourth. I'm going to go Sergeant Pepper third, Revolver second, and Abbey Road in first. Very interesting. Yeah, I like carry on, carry on. Um, we'll do the picker parts later. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, Magical Mystery Tour. I think is. Um, very flawed, but 
I say very flawed, like it, it's a soundtrack to a film essentially. Um, but it's it's got the Fall on the Hill, uh, I and the Walrus, Hello Goodbye, Strawberry Fields, Penny Lane, All You Need Is Love. The thing I was talking about earlier about like George Martin's influence, I think um, it's like super obvious on this, like particularly on things like All You Need Is Love, which is just fully orchestrated gloriousness. Um, like it's just it's a straight up pop song, but you know it is made by the flourishes. So yeah, it just just dipped in there at five, uh, and then quickly through the rest. Will I completely agree with everything that you said about Rubber Soul. I've got loads of nostalgia for uh, Sergeant Pepper. I'd, I'd, I'm amazed that I didn't make your top five though. Like I know that it's it's nostalgic for me because it was one of the few. I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but like car journeys growing up, like basically my mum had a collection of tapes in the car and that was the one Beatles one that was in there. Uh, so yeah, nostalgia definitely impacts on it for that. But it's also just, I re-listened to it when we were trying to make our lists and it's it's just absolute, like it is full of absolute winners uh, and when Mark mentioned the possibility of doing uh, top five Beatles songs that we decided against because it's impossible, uh, yes. day, in, day in the Life probably would have been first. Uh, incredibly hard to say. Um, she's Leaving Home would have been in my top three. She's Leaving Home is, is superb, yeah. Uh, it's too, it, yeah. I can't get into that conversation. It's too hard. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, Revolver Abbey Road. I'm, like I disagree with you, obviously, because I put them in different order. But there isn't, honestly, isn't that much in it. Actually, the top four there isn't that much in it. I think the the medley at the end of Abbey Road is probably the entire reason for it being my favourite. And it was, it was a, it was a, wasn't a tough decision. It was the other, it was the order of the other three. But but they're all fantastic. So super, stuff. You know, I, I don't know whether to start with my seven and six just to put the cat among the pigeons straight away. <laughs> I'll say them at the end. Right. Uh, number five, Abbey Road. Number four, A Hard Day's Night. Number three, Magical Mystery Tour. Number two, Rubber Soul. And number one, The White Album. Wow. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Christ alive, Mark. But I mean, for what it's worth, number six, Strawberry Fields Forever. Number seven, Revolver. How on earth does Hard Day's Night get in front of Revolver? Yeah, and Abbey Road and Revolver being five and seven, respectively. Sorry, sorry Mark. Okay. Make, make, well, your ca- yeah. make your well, case. Well. <laughs> right. Abbey Road was higher for me, but on a revisit, I mean, it's phenomenal in places, but. It's a more mature album, and that is not necessarily a bad thing. But on this listen, some of it was just a bit tired and a bit lacking energy for me. You know, it doesn't sound like a band full of youthful exuberance. It sounds like an experienced band making some great songs. But I think Will said it. There's also some kind of misses on there, really, in general. And I don't know, I just, I don't, I don't find it as fun a listen, I guess, on this on this recent excursion anyway. Um, 
Hard Day's Night, full on disagree. I think this is the peak of their early albums, really. I think there's some awesome songs on A Hard Day's Night. I mean, The Closer, I'll Be Back, is one of my favourite Beatles songs. I think it's excellent. They they have a trend along many of their albums where I think the first five or six tracks are killer. Then they go into a bit of a rut and then they sort of finish up okay. And that's almost universally across the whole of the Beatles for me. I, I guess it's just a, a band thing in general, isn't it? You know, people front load albums or whatever. But it did make this difficult because I don't really think there's one standout record in that respect. Uh, Rubber Soul was the kind of, sorry, Murder on Mystery Tour, I have at number three. Um, agree with everything you say, Andy, about that one. Hugely underrated. I prefer it to Sgt. Pepper's. I think it does that thing a little bit better. It's just got an amazing atmosphere. And considering that it seems to be a lot of songs just got cold together as a soundtrack, it actually holds together really well as a cohesive album, I think. I actually think when they get into the later songs and it's Penny Lane and... Uh, you know, Strawberry Fields and that. It it actually sort of takes me out of it a little bit. I think the first run of tracks up to I Am The Walrus, which is track six, is one of their best runs. It's just got a phenomenal, like, psychedelic atmosphere. There's loads of cool stuff in it. Like, even the way the Magical Mystery Tour song ends with a kind of, you know, jazz vamp piano thing. It's, it's, it's awesome. Uh Rubber Soul was the major lifter for me. That was my number two. I think it's better than Revolver, obviously. I didn't have Revolver in my top five. I think Rubber Soul is is John Lennon's record. Like it's he's got some absolutely killer stuff on there. And it's just it fuses that early kind of rock and roll stuff with with the later stuff. And I I don't know, it's it it almost pushed for number one. And it, it never even used to be an album that I particularly liked, but I just think there's there's some fantastic songs on there. And the White Album is number one, partially through nostalgia. It was the one Beatles album I had on the CD as a kid. But I think it's up and down all the way through, Will. I don't particularly agree that it sort of the first third is is the best. I think there's fantastic stuff spread throughout. And I love the the closing tracks. Revolution 9, I actually really like. I think that's awesome. That's even on a Beatles album. And uh, yeah, good good night. What a bloody Ringo song. I mean... What a bloody Ringo song. I mean, that, that should be the last Beatles track. It's magnificent. It's like a fairy tale dream ending. It's, it's beautiful. The White Album is very hit and miss, but because it's twice as long as anything else, it has twice as much good stuff. <laughs> Funnily enough, I think I agree with you on your reasoning more than I agree with Will, even though Will's picks are kind of more similar to mine. I, I want to start off on the White Album, though, because I've listened to it like three times, I think, since we decided to do this. So like three times in the last 10 days. It's infuriating as an album. Like, there is definite... I kind of wanted to put it in there. Like, it was strong consideration for number five, but the songs that are bad on it are just bad, and there's a lot of them. It's basically 
as far as I understand it, it's the Beatles. It's basically four people solo project. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Put together. Right, random music. And yeah, there's loads of killer stuff in it. The thing that knocks it down for me is that some of the songs that are held up, like I remember hearing John Lennon say that like Dear Prudence was one of his like favourite Beatles songs. It's obviously a John Lennon song. Um, I think it's fine. I think Glass Onion is pretty good. Obladi, Oblada, I don't really like that much. But then you get onto like Wild Honey Pie, I think is dog shit. Um, and Wild Honey, cover. <laughs> Wild Honey is also dog shit. Um, yeah, quite a lot of it I just plain, plain don't like. Like it, it does have loads of good stuff on it, of course it does. Like Why Don't We Do It in the Road? Like McCartney, just, just a wig out. There's, there's absolutely nothing to it. Um, yeah, there's just, there's just too many songs that I just plain don't like. I really don't like Revolution 1. Um, uh, sorry, uh, Revolution 9. Revolution, Revo- 9. Revolution 1 I like. Um, and yeah, it just I just find it infuriating as an album. There's too much there's too much stuff that just should be cut. Like, I think if you, if you made an album, not a double album, out of the best songs out of that, then it would be great. Like, of course, it will be in the top. I think, I think that's ultimately the reason it did sneak in is that I do, I think there is a, a almost a competing for Beatles' best album in there that is otherwise kind of surrounded by, um, yeah, some pretty bad stuff later on, I must admit. But I really, I, I agree with you about like, Oobla Dee Oobla Da uh, is just a Maxwell Silverhammer prototype um and wild honey pie is kind of rubbish there's a run then from the continuing story of bungalow bill through to about rocky raccoon i like all of that quite a lot um and then yeah uh, why don't we do it in the road and yeah i I guess it kind of goes up and down for a few tracks there and then i disagree slightly with you mark like it, it fades off for me there but I think some it, some of the ones that are held up as well, I just don't like enough. Like, I don't think... I always say, like, I, I, really, I, I really like I, McCartney ballads. Like, I don't think Julia is a, like, Lennon ballad is as good as McCartney ballads. Like, basically, I don't think it's hard, that good. Hard to disagree. That's well, I don't, don't think it's that great. I think it's fine. It's one of my favourite songs. Yeah. Of I the ballads on the album, like, Blackbird would probably be my... Yeah, Blackbird's that, obviously. My go, my, I'd, I'd, I would take Julia over Blackbird any day of the week, personally. I'd, prob- I'd probably take uh, Martha, my dear, over Julia. But I think uh, back in the USSR is great. Um, I disagree with you, but I think Dear Prudence is great. I think Dear Prudence is fantastic, yeah. Uh, while my guitar gently Fine. weeps, happiness is a warm gun. Bueno. Both of them are killer, yeah. Martha, my dear. I mean, that, that is a hell of a run. While my guitar gently weeps, happiness is a warm gun. Martha, my dear, I'm so tired. Blackbird. I mean, that's it. It's, it's just yeah. got that little, yeah, that, little tie, that little tight run in that first, that kind of opening ten tracks. All right, yeah, Ubla Dee Ubla and Wild Wild Honey Pyre. The continuous story of Bunkley Bills. Like I say, that feels to me like they're like I don't know, they're knees up sort of joke songs that they throw in every now and again. Yeah, I don't. I don't have a. You know, I agree. Some of these songs are weaker, but they don't really bother me. Firstly, most of them are dead short. Secondly, they're obviously just pastiche kind of throwaways. Like they're not intended to be like, you know, great like masterpieces. I don't think. But just having a bit of fun, and it does lend the album something different, 
which isn't on their other albums. And you could argue, well, it's just bad. But to me, it's, it kind of makes it more endearing because there are times when I'm listening through to him. I'm like, you know, I, I get a kick out of even Wild Honey Pie. I mean, it's about a minute long. I, d- I don't know, you know, what harm it's doing. And it just makes me appreciate the Pixies cover, basically. Um, but, you know, Sexy Sadie is a great song. Helter Skelter is a lot of fun. Uh, that's pretty cool yeah i even like stuff like savoy truffle i mean i just think it's a a cool little pop song i think this is this is the thing isn't it like a lot of these ones that you're mentioning that are held up as good Beatles songs i just don't care that much about like savoy truffle i don't it doesn't it's a harrison one isn't it yeah it is and I'm not yeah. saying it's a fantastic track, but I don't see how anyone could have a, a major problem with it. It's, I have a major problem with it. I just don't really. It's just filler for me. Like, and there's, there's, I think that's it. Like, there's, um, there's a load of songs on there that are undisputably great, and then there's a lot that are held up as great that I think are fine, and then there's a lot of songs that I just think are dross. And I get what you're saying about it just being throwaway stuff but they sort of actively annoy me because i don't feel like they have any place being on the album like i, I, I don't know it bothers, it bothers me less than the sort of i as i said before i think there's handfuls of tracks on most of their albums which i just think are i think there's one, nothing i think there's one, one or two on, i think there's one or two on every album eh, not every album but yeah maybe every album <laughs> one or two i don't think there's necessarily 10 which I think there is on the Y album. Yeah, I think like I think Rubber Soul, as we've all, I think we've all placed that, didn't we, in our list somewhere? Yeah. I think I think that's a pretty strong album. I don't remember there being many songs on there that are like major dips. Although I placed it at four and Mark placed it at two, I just completely agree with this reasoning. Like I, two, three, and four just could have been in any order for me. Um, yeah, I, I can't split. I can't really split. Like Revolver and Rubber Soul, they they came I, out at such a similar time, and they're they're both great. I th- I'm just looking through the the track listing of Rubber Soul now, and uh, you know, again, it was kind of pushing for number one with a, another week. It may have got there, but I mean, yeah, you just said it, Will. There's there's not really it's there's not, not really many misses on it, and there's some absolute standouts which I think are underrated standouts. I mean. I think Michelle's a terrific song. I really like Agreed. Girl. Agreed. Um, Nowhere think, Man's great. Think for yourself. Nowhere Man is fantastic. Yeah. Yep. In my in my life's great. In my life yeah. is marvelous. Um, Fuck, this should be the best one. The kick, yeah, the kick this off should as be well. Number, like, this should be number one. Like <laughs> drive, drive my car straight into like Norwegian, Norwegian wood. wood. It's so good. It's, yeah. yeah, phenomenal. Um, I even like the. Uh, you know, it's just a, a chirpy little closer as well, like Run For Your Life. And it's just, yeah, there, there's no real weak tracks on there, I don't think. There's a couple which are average, but yeah, it's a, it's a really strong album. I guess looking through it, um, Norwegian Wood and Michelle are both up there uh, in my like Beatles ballads. There's no. There's no like real rock and roll track that's up there. Um, no, there isn't. I do, I do like like Drive My Car, um, but yeah, I think maybe the peaks aren't quite as high 
although you're right, like it's actually probably like arguably their most consistent album. Mm. I think that's probably the case. I mean, they even well, looking at like my top two, Revolver and Abbey Road, have at least one track that I would personally remove from the album. Yeah, Revolver's a tough one because I think Revolver's. I think the peaks are higher on Revolver. Like I think Eleanor Ribby, for example, as a ballad is better than either of the two I just mentioned. But then it also has uh, Yellow Submarine that actively annoys me as a song. Yeah, yeah. that would be my remover. So, sorry, where did it, right, let's get to Revolver because this is important. So you had it number one, Andy. My, mine was number one. Sorry, two. yours was number Okay. Two cool. for me. So... I, yeah, I mean, I do think it's great. You know, this is all very relative here. I, you know, I still think it's a eight, nine out of 10 album. <laughs> like, But I don't know. Like Taxman is a average opener. Eleanor Rigby is fantastic. I'm Only Sleeping for me is mid-tier oh, Lennon. Yeah, oh, I, like, I like I'm Only Sleeping. Yeah. Here, There and Everywhere is obviously great. Yellow Submarine sucks. She Said, She Said, Good Day Sunshine. Not bothered by over them. They do uh, nothing for me. Uh, yeah. com- Again, this is just where the difference is going to be. Yeah. When you say, I don't like that, we're going to go, yeah, I like that. Completely disagree. <laughs> I think that, that that little run there, like those three, like She Said, She, she Said, uh, Good Day Sunshine, and You Both Can Sing, they're all just absolutely superb. Yeah. I like that for notes. for sing, but... Uh, for, for no one's still good and then finishes off again like as a closer like tomorrow well, never you into my into my life into tomorrow never knows yeah i mean tomorrow tomorrow never stuff. knows is is yeah tomorrow never knows is fantastic but i think we're skipping another section now dr robert i want to tell you <laughs> but there's I mean, like five or six there skip, for me you're just you're, <laughs> i mean you're skipping two songs <laughs> Yeah, I think, also, I, think, I think they're both fine. Like I don't, they're not, but, but they're not they're not major dips. So like that's we're looking at a total of fourteen songs. And for me, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight of them I'm not bothered by. <laughs> this I mean is that's why fair it, enough. In in those same fourteen songs, I'd take out one. I'd take out one and, and I, I'd take out one, I think three are fine, and funnily enough they all fall in a row uh which is uh for no one in fact dr robert i don't mind either maybe two <laughs> um yeah t- two songs i don't mind i think the rest of them are great i think that hit rate is just absolutely superb for me it's why it just eclipsed abbey road mm-hmm I, w- I want to touch on as well, Will, because I this is where I strongly disagree, and I do agree with Mark, is that Hard Day's Night, I never really considered putting in an early Beatles album because until they hit the like psychedelic phase, I think like they have great singles, but then the album's always just padded with generic rock and roll. Like Help, I think, is that. Like it just has... Uh, good singles and generic rock and roll in it and Beatles for Sale that you also mentioned um, it's just a like it's a covers album right? yeah, no, yeah, since, it's, got, it's got some since fun since I mentioned stuff. that I looked back through the playlist and thought that's not the album I meant but I've said it oh okay <laughs> so, so there it is because yeah I'd argue that as like arguably their worst yeah that is, <laughs> with with the Beatles is uh, covers one as well isn't it I think 
I got those mixed up. Oh no, it is. It's got like rollover Beethoven on it. It's, it's not. It's not uni- It's not like universal covers. Yeah, it's not completely yeah. covers or anything. But but I think they padded it with a hell of a lot of covers. Like it's got like Little Richard covers and. Um, I mean, to to directly answer your question, I, I could see an argument for Hard Day's Night. To be honest, like I I surprised. I was surprised how much I enjoyed some of their earlier stuff. Because to be honest with you, I'd, I'd pretty much written off everything pre-Rubber Soul from a, a so, kind of so, listening. So would I, and I'd agree with that. It's just that Hard Day's Night was the one that stood out out of that early early clutch. And, you know, I, I don't know. You could be right. But I think through that, like, list of running, I don't know about you guys, I listened to him in order. And uh, I just sort of hit help. And I really enjoyed it. It's got things like you've got to hide your love away, I think is um, just absolutely like superb. I like help. I just, I think it, from what I remember, um, I think it's ballads are far behind the equivalent ones on A Hard Day's Night. And A Hard Day's Night also, I mean, they've always had incredible harmonies, but there's about four or five songs on A Hard Day's Night, which I think kind of a, a peak harmony moments for them. Sure. Um, like I like the song A Hard Day's Night. I think that's good. Uh, if I Fell, I think is great. I think I'm Happy Just to Dance With You is super, super nice. George Harrison sung one, And I Love Her is another great ballad. It does. Um, the only thing with Hard Day's Night is I think after, again, five or six tracks, it, it does tail off into sort of, you know, rock and roll. I think that is kind of it. And I'm not going to argue like too hard for Help's Corner in the face of a Hard Day's Night. I don't think there's a massive amount between them. But as you say, there are things like I'm Happy to Just Dance With You it falls a bit lesser for me. Like, and I, and I agree, they both end up kind of descending into their more like basic rock and roll sound. But... Mm-hmm. Like help ends, well, it doesn't end, but has sort of yesterday at the end, which maybe somewhat played out, but is still, you know, strong classic of the Beatles. So yeah. I felt there's a bit of a much of a muchness there, but I did feel like my top five felt right by having the representation of early Beatles. And I think, um, yeah, all right, you could argue Hard Day's Night is is the one, but it felt like that was the, the they'd sort of perfected that version of their sound at that period of time. And that's, that's why I picked help. Yeah, for sure. I guess one of my, not regrets, but honorable mentions, as you said it, and it's in your list, I think, Andy, is Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Well, that was exactly what I wanted to touch on, saying it's in neither of your lists, which I think is mental. Wednesday morning at five o'clock as the day begins Silently closing their bedroom door Leaving the note that she hoped would say more she It was number probably, six for me. I would probably in, get in your same, top like, five, so not in your list. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. It's it's sort of like the first loser. Um, And I agree. It's one of those albums that like when it peaks, I think it peaks really well. Like uh, you mentioned, She's Leaving Home, title track, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. But there are some like, with a little help from my friends, 
it's probably be uh, Ringo's best track, and it's still, it's still, it's definitely not a Ringo track. Like he's he sings it, but it's oh yeah, yeah, definitely a McCartney track. And I've, I've not looked this up. I'm just presuming because it's very McCartney musical. Like, um, and then Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds is is all right. Um, but this is just where I disagree when I, when with I'm, you. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think Lucy in the Sky is great, but I think I think it's another example, the same as Rubber Salt, where there's actually no weak tracks on it. I think that there's uh, like two or three tracks that are absolutely stand out. I'd agree with you, Mark, on She's Leaving Home. A Day in the Life is one of my favourite Beatles songs. I really like uh, Sergeant Pepper, like obviously the reprieve as well. Uh, Lucy and Skyward Diamonds, I think is great, but I don't think any of them are bad. Even I think it's a really, it feels like a McCartney album. Like I've not looked up who wrote most of it, but it does. Some of the songs are a bit, yeah, McCartney's like, yeah, musical, like lean ins, like the, the, the sort of throwback pop tunes as opposed to like rock and roll, but. I just don't think any of them are weak songs. Like, I uh, I really like for the benefit of Mr. Kite for some reason. Great, <laughs> I, I, I like all of them. They're charming. Um, I do, yeah, that's the thing. I I don't dislike any. I don't. There's a couple like getting better. I, whatever, you know, fixing a hole. I like um, when I'm 64. Not. Not bothered by that. Lovely Rita. Not bothered by that. Good morning. Good morning. Not bothered by that. It's, it's another. I like good morning. Good morning. But... That, but they're fine. They're just kind of there. Like I don't. You know, they don't really bring anything massively new to the table for me. I do. I do think it's super solid. I do think Magical Mystery Tour is a better album. Sort of doing a similar thing. That sort of psychedelic. You know. Arrangements all over the place. I really like Magical Mystery Tours. I'm not arguing too much, but I think the heights of um, Sergeant Pepper are just way higher than the heights of Magical Mystery Tour. Like, I do really like. I do really like. I put neither neither in my list. I would agree. I think Sergeant Pepper is better. I do really like. Like, I I am the Walrus, but it's not a day in the life. (laughs) (laughs) I don't don't know if studying a day in the life has, has been made it a bit overexposure for me a little bit yeah it's a great song but i don't i don't love it i studied it i'm kind of the same i studied it what we're talking about 18 years ago like i'm not it's not uh it's not thrown it for me like that's fine it might have might have been oversaturation at the time but you know i've got over it now it's a phenomenal song and she's leaving home as well it's just like hauntingly beautiful isn't it like yeah i I think think that's probably probably my peak on the album that one like of all of it yeah those yeah, two are, are genuinely up there as it is too hard to do a like top five songs but they're at least going to be in the list which might have like they're going to be in consideration and in consideration might be 30 songs <laughs> if if i go track for track i i just i think magical mystery tour is stronger like i don't i don't necessarily agree with the it, the heights thing i think she's leaving home aside I am the walrus is as good or better if anything on Sergeant Peppers. All you need is love. Strawberry fields forever. Fall on the hill is magnificent. Your mother should know is incredibly underrated. 
not possible. I, I, even... should know. I don't I don't really like Blue Way, uh, Blue Jay Way either, the like Harrison one on it that much. Uh, flying, not fussed about. Um baby a rich man is a close uh, sorry, it's not the closer. Uh, I'm not that fussed about Penny Lane. Uh, I think it's a good tune, but it's sort of middling in Beatles tunes. Um, it's all incredibly harsh because it's the Beatles and they set the bar so high. <laughs> yeah. But I just, I like, I don't necessarily, I'm not saying something like Blue Jay Way is, is great or flying, but I just love the way they all kind of flow into each other. They've it, That album has a particular vibe and atmosphere, which is consistent throughout. 100%. And, I really dig that. I think you can just listen to it start to finish. And yeah, it's not like an incredible song after incredible song, but it, it really flows well together. And I think a lot of their albums don't, frankly. And that, that gives it the boost for me. I don't think a lot of their songs necessarily do. Like, I think later on they got, although you don't like, well, not you don't like Revolver, but it's not in your top five. Like... The change, particularly with Revolver, I'd say, like songs don't often stay within genres. Like they, they, they get to the point there where they're really experimenting and, and yeah, they chop and change all the time. Like, I think for me with the Beatles at their best is when they are just absolutely like banger after banger. It sort of ceases to matter quite as much to me whether they work together because you just immediately pulled into the next one. I don't disagree, but we were specifically trying to choose the best albums as albums. Oh yeah, no, I'm not so. not disagreeing your your reasoning, but a best album can be a best album because it's just ten of the best tracks. I think Will makes a like interesting point though. Like, I think that a lot of the time you're looking for an album that really, yeah, kind of flows and there's a like connective tissue between all the songs. And I think if you're as good as the Beatles, you don't necessarily mean need that and also like the white albums on both of your lists and that has no connective tissue without like throughout it at all like it's it's chaotic as an album but but you're basically saying that you're basically saying that the good points of the white album are so high that they're enough to kind of carry it which, which i can get on board with i don't agree but I'm not. I'm not even necessarily saying that. I think the the low points of that album are, are far less of a problem for me. Yeah, they're I, a, pro- they're I, a problem I, for I, me. I think I other other, other, of their, other ones of their albums, I think, have more high points. But but yeah. So I, I think I think Will's like I think that's perfectly reasonable. Thing like there might not be the same connective tissue that there is with something like uh, Magical Mystery Tour, which is very much. I think it's reasonable to praise Magical Mystery Tour for it. Yeah, but I just think, like, it's fine to just be like, well, I like all of the songs, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, I enjoy yeah. listening to it because I like every individual song. It doesn't matter that it doesn't necessarily flow quite as nicely as a psychedelic pop album because they step away from that a lot of the time. Yeah, no, of, of course it is. But at the same time, I, you know, it's a it is a reason that one stuck out to me. So, you know. Yeah, that's it. I don't, I don't want to, uh, certainly don't want to invalidate your point of view because I, I can agree to it in principle. It just isn't as important to me when I'm uh, picking my favourite Beatles albums. Yeah, I'm fine with invalidating your points, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no issue with <Yeah>. that. <laughs> what have we not touched well, on? 
We've not really get that much into Abbey Road, I guess. On Abbey Road. Oh, I believe I'm having to defend Abbey Road. Let me just pull up the track list so I can really dig into it. The fact is, like, I think the um the medal at the end is one of my favorite um from here comes the sun. Oh no, sorry, from Sun King but, all yeah. the way through to the end. But the thing is, is that the weird thing is as well is that it has two songs I don't like on it, but I love every other song on it so much. Wait, are you going to say Mean Mr. Mustard and Polythene Pam you don't like? Uh, no, sorry, as an album as a whole. Oh, right. Oh, oh. they had a, some sort of cardiac. The medley, uh, the medley is one of my favourite like bits of an album ever on any album of anything. And uh, yeah, I don't like Maxwell Silverhammer and I don't like well, Octopus's Garden that much. Like, I agree I think, with you there, sir. I think they're both fine, but I just love every other song. Like its its strengths are so strong, um, and yeah, the medley's phenomenal. So uh, I, I yeah. never really had any doubt about it being number one. I just mirror that. I say it was only on on the listen of the two, and the fact that this had two tracks I would take off, and Rov- Revolver had one is what sort of spun it for me. But it's a it's a nice edge pick. Like uh, come together is such a good opener, and then you've got something immediately afterwards. Oh, darling, I like, but it's after Octopus's Garden that it's it's just like, yeah, it's phenom- year, comes phenomenally good. Yeah, here comes because the sun. It's because, incredible. Yeah, never give me your money. Sun King, me, Mister Mustard, Polythene Pound. I'm just naming the track list now. They are, they are, <laughs> just saying the like, in order. And you know what, Your Majesty would have left it off if it was me, just because yeah. uh, the end is such a good finish. Still pretty fun. <laughs> yeah. How long is it? About fifteen seconds long. Yeah, <laughs> I still I still have a little giggle at that. <laughs> yeah, I I stand by my comments. I just think it's a it's almost a little bit too mature and professional for me for some reason. And this is you know I think it's a nine out of ten album, but it's and there's a couple there like oh darling I don't really massively care about. And weirdly nice I song. used to think it was. It's fine. It's just McCartney doing a pastiche and that does get a bit tiresome sometimes away. He absolutely comes back with some, like all his piano ballad stuff in the, in the second half and the medley is absolutely astounding stuff. So, you know, it's just, you, you've got to snatch at something like it's an instinctual thing. But the last time I listened to it, I was just, you know, having listened to all the earlier stuff where it's all upbeat and fun and everything. I was just like, this is a bit kind of, I don't know, just uh, stodgy is the wrong word because it's, I'm, I think it's great, but it's just a bit, a bit too mature for, for my most recent listen for whatever reason. I guess I can, I can get that. Like it, mood can really set a big precedent for how you, how you kind of absorb something. Of course it can. But all of that, all of that that you were saying about the kind of the maturity in it is what is exactly what I like about it. It is them just at the absolute peak of their powers. All of their songwriting, their singing, their playing. I mean, the, it's, the, it's, the, inc- it's incredibly polished compared to like some of their. I was going to say uh, earlier stuff. It's it's polished compared to Let It Be. What came? What six years? Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, Let It Be came afterwards. Yeah. I mean, their entire is is stupid, isn't it? The first album was in nineteen sixty three, 
and their last was 1970. I know, it's mad. Like, you think it's, that they it's, had... It's that, yeah, what do they have? Thirteen albums, twelve yeah, albums. Years. Like, yeah, uh, it's it's yeah. incredibly short period of time to be smashing out that. But yeah, I think that I remember when we were in Wales recording one of our albums, and we listened to uh, Hunky Dory, and I was thinking like, there's not many albums that I would just sit and listen to and just enjoy from start to finish and just be absorbed by it and. Um, yeah, the run, the medley run in particular, but I mean, the whole album really, but especially the medley run it is one of those that like, if I'm listening to it, then I'm listening to it. <laughs> like I'm just putting it on and doing nothing else. It's not background listening for me. It's uh fuzz of albums. Yeah. It's just phenomenally good. <laughs> like it, it's, it, I'm, yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's superb. I can't, I can't understand the idea of not having it in your top five. I had it in my top five. Yeah, Abbey Road was fifth for Marco, I think. Oh, okay. Can't understand not having it in your top four. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> in fairness, it, it would have been one or two if we'd done this two weeks ago. But again revisiting and the list may change in two weeks time it's it's just that simple isn't it